0: Foundation Institute's podcast series, Interviews with a survivor. In today's episode, our hosts, Lucky and Tim, will be talking with Sebastian Lobo Guerrero about his adventures in Colombia.
1: So Sebastian, uh, we've been talking a lot about what the problem was, we journey back to the country, not as a family member, but more as an engineer right trying to solve the problem so i want to talk a little bit about the solution you know we have this big problem right it was the biggest uh shocker of the 21st century right and of course i would want to respect your commitment to confidentiality i know we cannot go deep into the technical details that you learned but sometimes when you think about most important aspects of projects are non-technical, right? So Mm -hmm. I want to ask you, did you encounter a measure of disbelief within the project team? Not just the engineering, you know, uh, it can be with the government officials as well, you know?
2: Yes, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that was the, that was the general feeling. I mean, and, and, you know, soon, as soon as I landed, you could feel it from everyone. I mean, everyone was mesmerized. It was like, what happened? You know I mean? How this could happen? How, how an structure of this size can fail like that, collapse that way? You know, I mean, catastrophically going down. As I said, you can see it on the video. Um, it was disbelief. And also, I think that the fact that the president gave that speech, you know that's the true definition of jinxing something. You know, like the jinx, <laughs> like completely. It's like never give us a speech like that again because, yeah. you know, it it, it was completely curse on that sense. But it was. I mean, from the government, obviously, you know, they are thinking like why this happened. I mean, like we we have best companies in the country doing this. From the owner, the proprietor, you know, like the P three, the concessionary, also, you know, what's going on. The from the contractor too, because the contractor is saying, well, I'm constructing what you gave me. The designer also. I'm designing. So I, I think that facilitated that everyone was helping because everyone really wanted to know what was the problem. Now, once the problem is identified, the attitude changed, right? And and the parts that are being now blamed obviously are not gonna like it and they're gonna try to argue. And and that's when everything goes to lawyers, you know, and, and it goes into litigation. And that's the part that is not enjoyable at all. But when you sign up for something like this, you know that you are gonna need to go the whole way. So, you know, I mean, I, I was involved in the project for about, I don't know, two and a half years. I mean, not only the first part, but then uh, this company continued to, you know, to hire us for review of the new, of the new project, the new design. Uh, everything went into a new company. I mean, all, all this I can talk because all this is disclosed in the news. Uh, basically after this, they move into another design build company. We started designing a new bridge. The government way more, got even more involved than before um but then there were differences in concepts of design and 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 i don't know i mean i think at that point also it's like too many people start getting involved and everyone is going to have an opinion uh the the original concept for the replacement of the bridge uh somehow it did not go through and then the government came with another concept and and that's the part that basically i was out of the picture because they decided to have uh, a different solution which is extremely extremely disappointed and sad because we're sitting here you know three years later and there is no breach so I mean let's hope yeah. that that is gonna be that is gonna be resolved soon um, yeah. yeah I mean I think that this belief that you talk still exists today because until the day that that is fixed you know it's right. gonna feel bad right.
1: I mean it's it's really you know um, when you think about uh, failure like this it, it really takes you back and everything that you have observed in terms of engineering and everything I and mean, when you're coming up to the solution it's like Right, government government officials are thinking about it differently, and engineers are thinking about it differently. And um, if you think about news media, you were talking about how many news media was there on the existing bridge, and you know uh, how are they looking at this? You know, the solution can we can we talk about it? You know, they're they're always thinking about it. So, yeah. um, and apart from that, as engineers, we always have to keep that human factor, right? Everything that we design, everything that we build has a human factor to it because without that there is no way that we can complete the design Um, when you are thinking about this bridge collapse can you tell us about the human factor or human side about the bridge collapse after the bridge collapse
2: yeah I I think what what I experienced the most in the human factor was when we arrived to the site so we arrived to to Bogota spend the night on a hotel and then move immediately you know like the next morning we'd move immediately to the bridge and there were a couple of feelings there on the human factor they removed the bodies already uh but you still see when you walk around because i mean this again i encourage you to see it if you have not seen it on youtube but the collapse was you know massive and they were there were really debris everywhere and when you are walking you still see like hard hats and gloves and you don't know if it's one of the person that was killed i mean the, this project in some respect was lucky because they have hundreds of people working on the ridge, but this collapse happened during lunch time and the 10 people that were there uh happened to be skipping launch because they wanted to keep working so you know i mean this could have been way 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 worse you know i mean we could be right, talking about right. hundreds of, of of lives being lost uh so you know and, and just imagine for the 10 people that were killed is basically you are you are on a deck on a bridge and then boom suddenly collapse and you go down i don't know i don't remember exactly the number but it's something like 150 feet on the air hey, 150 meters or like 500 feet so it's immediate death uh so i mean it's always extremely sad as a site is extremely sad right uh, when we went there, we also it was still considered like a I don't know, crime scene or something. So when we went and have access to all this, we were followed by the, you know, by like the police immediately just because they needed to make sure that we did not distort any evidence or, or anything like that. But part of what broke my heart too is like we met the 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 major of that town, you know, and, and it was uh it was a lady that was telling us how much this was gonna now delay the plans of the region and all that. So you start feeling all that pain, right? And and all that. And I remember, I mean, I, I was one of the only people in the team with our prime, with that I really speak Spanish. So I, I kind of spoke for the team and I said, the only thing that you can have from us is our promise that that we're going to do our best, you know, and, and we're going to try to clarify this and, and understand really what it is. Uh, it, it was all kind of, you know, human feelings in that sense, because there is the disappointment, there is the, you know, all that. I mean, at the same time for me, it was, also nerve-wracking. I mean, I did stuff on that project I have never done in my life. Like, I end up going in one inside one of these shafts and hollow caissons that it was, I don't remember exactly the numbers, but it's something like 50 meters in complete darkness going down rappel, trying to inspect some micropiles that were installed. I did also testing of anchors, you know, hanging literally from a cord, hanging on something that was never designed for anyone to go back inside and test anchors. And, you know, that that's kind of, I mean, it's one of the most exciting, in some respect, moments of my career. Uh, doing those testing for anchors and you know doing all kind of math, because you are. I mean, I remember thinking like, where I am? I mean, I mean, inside a shaft in Colombia. You know, I don't know how many meters under the ground, and I'm doing a test and and you know I'm sure you know you guys remember like you know when we try to calculate the capacity of an anchor. You know, 270 ksi steel and the area point point 0.217 square inches. And you are trying to do these calcs and it's like, okay, this anchor should get this. And in the meantime, you're hanging from a rope and in darkness with yourself. And, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, and, and it was extremely, it was extremely, you know, insane. And, and they have a medic with us, I remember. And every time we were going inside this confined space, the guy take our blood pressure. And every time he took my blood pressure, he was like, it's a little high. And I'm like, what else do you expect, dude? I mean, it's like, you know. Of course. Of course. It's like, I'm, I'm not having a heart attack. I'm lucky that I'm not having a heart attack. So, but no, I mean, it was all kind of emotions and, and, and ranges and, you know, the same thing with the inclinometers. I mean, trying to, with all the debris, trying to move pieces apart to get to an inclinometer casing and trying to run an inclinometer torpedo, try to get readings. I mean, it's fascinating stuff that I'm sure I'm going to be telling to, to my grandkids one day of all the stuff that we did. So, but again, every time you get the good feelings, 10 people were killed, right? So you have to treat that with respect.
3: Well, you know, Sebastian, that's one thing that we, we didn't really even introduce here. And that is, uh, we had talked earlier about just looking at the structure. And I had talked about that it was kind of, it's in rugged environment. And it was, I mean, this is not a routine bridge. And it's not a routine foundation. Now, I did a little bit of reading, uh, preparing for this podcast And what I read were comments like this should have had a peer review and I could tell by the calculations there wasn't enough steel. And what I, I guess what I walked away from of that was that the the reality of it is that most of engineers won't have to face the reality of having one of their their projects fail catastrophically but it even seemed on the side of those folks that were writing in, and I don't know who they were, but they didn't seem to have even a real risk that there was a potential of failure on their projects. That there's almost like, yeah, this project in Colombia failed, but it was so obvious. Well, if it was so obvious, I think the team of engineers in Colombia would have figured that out. And that even our projects that we're so confident in there's always a bit of risk. Do you agree with that?
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, that there, there is a lot of uh, debate on many things. I mean, I I, I will defend Colombian engineering uh, in the sense that I mean, I got my undergrad there, right? And and I and I always said this was not a failure because of you know lack of knowledge in the sense of engineering. I mean, I think Colombia has great universities and and they have great engineers. I always said because of the social economical and political situation in the 90s, Colombia probably became one of the best exporters of engineering for the world. And, and that's exactly my case. Uh, and I have plenty of friends that also still work in the States and that we came here, did PhDs and, and stay and never went back to work. But still there is a plenty of great people that have done PhDs here and go back and work. Uh, I don't think it was really lack of, of talent or anything like that. I, I, I don't think that it reflects bad on the engineering you know, of Colombia as a country and the capabilities they have. I mean, Colombia has
3: amazing companies that can do great geotechnical and structural design. Uh, well, Here's my question, Sebastian, mm-hmm. is really you're you deal with students and, and even in your practice in your clientele. Is there is there any do you find that sometimes there's a, a gap between their expectations? Really, are they expecting you to have always give them an answer that's 100 percent foolproof all the time? Or do you see some recognition amongst your clients or, and even your students that, hey, engineers, we, there's always a risk that we could have a, a failure. Yes, no, 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 that, that's a good point, because I,
2: I do agree with that. And I think everything that we do in engineering is, it has a risk, right? And then everything that we do is risk mitigation. That, that's the reason that I said we are not, We are not analysts, I mean, we are analysts, but I don't want to see myself as an analyst running a program, it's an engineer. So you run computer models, you run everything, but it's still a lot of risk, right? And that's as an engineer, you start going and how do you mitigate your risk? Uh, The first way or the best way to mitigate your risk is with QAQC, having other peers review your work. You know, I mean, that's the most obvious one. Uh, You do QAQC internally in a company and you do QAQC externally. You have a third party involved. you know, there, there are different levels. I mean, you do, you do constructability reviews. I think the United States, it's in a really good shape in terms of risk mitigation through these steps. Uh, and I mean, I'm very proud of, of the codes that we have, the, you know, having this country by different industries. Uh, I, I, I wrote or I was a co-author on one of these codes for the state of Delaware, the bridge design manual for the state in 2015. And it's one of the proudest jobs that I have done. Uh, because there is nothing like right codes. You know, I mean, you are basically getting an agreement of different things and you are presenting it and saying, this is the law. You have to follow this. Uh, unfortunately, not all the countries in the world are at the state that we are. And we actually served with Lockheed uh, at IFC a few months ago in a panel about gaps, knowledge gaps in, yeah. in, around the world. And that's one of the, one of the, that was one of the areas that is identified, which is the level of risk in, in developing countries is managed differently that is managed on the states and and i mean i i hope i don't i don't offend anyone when i say that but it's true it's just that the level of attention and the importance to that uh, affects now what is another great way to minimize risk communication you know having great communication between the parties well, that's
3: that was my next question so my my next question is just in, in your 20 years experience uh maybe maybe list or think about take it, take a few moments what would you pick your you know top three reasons whether they're technical or or human what would you say your top three most important factors are and i use the term manage risk i I, mitigate seems to me i I, you know when i hear people say mitigate risk it's almost like they're saying eliminate risk when we manage risk it seems like we're trying to um we're trying to put the important things first and the Anyway, that's just me, but for you, what would you, if you could pick the top three things you're going into a project, let's say you've got a very challenging project and you perceive it is perhaps riskier. What would you say are the top three most important things that you want to focus on? Cause you can't focus on everything, can you? Yeah. No, you no, can't you can. say I'm going to do this perfectly, but you can pick a few things and say, I'm going to focus on these. What would you focus on?
2: Yeah, no, that's great, that's great. Uh, because as you, as you imagine, I have given a lot of thought to that, especially with a project like this and sure. another and, and forensic that I have done after that. Uh, the first one to me is communication. It's extremely important. Communication is everything. You know, I mean, if, if you have a project that has an open avenue for communication, uh, that is the main thing. You know, it's, it's, it's everyone, you know, communicating what they, what, what they are doing, what they are understanding of the problem, what they are doing to you know, solve things everyone needs to understand what they are doing and what the others are doing to make sure that, you know, there is no gaps on that. So that, that will be my first, my first idea. Communication has to be an open line. The second one, I would say it is a very clear scope and, and, and people that work with me or, or, you know, that I, clients that I have, or even people that are on, on my team, they know that I'm extremely peculiar and, and detailed on the scopes of work. And, and I mean, this comes from reading a lot of cases from, you know, GBA and different professional societies, um, you know, and, and even on Geostrata with all the cases they have on AEC, uh, there is nothing more important.
3: Sebastian, mm-hmm. scope, scope. Uh, I'm going to throw in there as another uh, alternative word is responsibility. Who yeah, exactly. is responsibility for, who has the responsibility for different tasks, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, because- exactly. So
2: it, it goes in that and, 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 and to define it, you know, to define it clearly. I mean, people tend to believe that, you know, that you don't want to say it if you are not doing something because then it's, it's gonna lower your price or it's gonna make you look bad if you say that you're not doing that. But for me, it's extremely important that since the beginning is clear that I'm saying, this is what I'm doing and this is the product that you should expect from me. And these other areas, you have to do it or you have to find somebody to do it. You know what I'm saying? And, and when, when the expectations are extremely clear, so first you have communication and then you have this scope of work. And when the expectations are delineated and clear, there is not going to be that much, you know, like losing through the cracks or, 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 or something like that. There is not going to be gray areas that some part was thinking the other part was covering and, and things like that. So that, that will be like the second one. And then the, the third one that I will have, I would say review. I mean, I, I'm, an extre- I'm extremely confident of the work that I do. And I'm, I don't want to sound like arrogant or anything, but I'm extremely confident on, on what I do and my technical skills, but I never just trust myself. Never. I mean, that is the first mistake. When you get comfortable with things, when you feel that you know it all and you can play God, you are going down the wrong way. You always have to keep mm-hmm. humble and you always have mm-hmm. to understand that even though you think this calc is perfect, you still still need to pass it to somebody else and have another set of eyes look at this and tell you, you know, and, and deal with the comments. And when you pass it to someone else, You can defend what you did, but you also try to, you need to understand that you may be wrong and and you need to deal with that. And and, and the older we get and the more, you know, the more advanced in our career we are, we tend to believe like, no, if I have my calculator, I can design anything in two minutes. And the answer is you can, but it may be wrong and it may cost you your career, you know, so you don't want to do that. You don't want to throw 20 years, you know, or or more into the garbage. So it's always keep your head down and, and go through the process. If you follow if you follow those three, if you have good communication, good scope of work, good QAQC's and reviews, I think you really minimize the chances of things going wrong. And if they do go wrong, at least on the court and, and, and under, the, under the law, your consequences will be different. You know what I'm saying? I mean, negligence is the worst thing that you can have on on, on a project and stuff like that. And I think you will really avoid negligence by following those steps. No, that was
1: awesome. great. I think. I think you hit the nail on the head, I, uh, right, Tim? Mm-hmm. I think uh, the three points that he just mentioned is where we are trying to refine engineering into, right? As we go year by year, uh, century by century, I think that's where we are heading. And then you will see like the humble engineers that you're talking about, Sebastian. It's very important, I think. I think you can learn from everyone you meet mm-hmm. in your life.
3: Yeah, you exactly. got it. Fun. That That is exactly right. Yeah. You nailed it.
1: Yeah. So, um, we, we briefly talked about, uh, you being a professor, right? Uh, for us,
2: no. <laughs> I'm not a professor. I'm not,
1: <laughs> no, I mean, uh, you've been teaching so many classes. Why not call yourself a professor, right?
2: Because um, I do have, have a lot in- of respect for professors. So I'm, I'm not yeah. at that level yet, but I, I do enjoy a lot to share my experiences.
1: And, and you also uh, live so close by to the university, right? You're getting the aura of everything that is happening in the university as well. Um, you know, um, as we are growing up, I think it takes time for us to learn adversity, right? It is not something that's so easily uh, understandable over a period of time. Experience teaches you how you can be adverse um, in different situations. So um, what, how you can face uh, you know things and chris chris brought up that great point of how you can in that situation where you were put in how could you compartmentalize yourself right um everything all kinds of emotions kicks in and it's so difficult um being a teacher you know how do you teach that in the classroom how do you see that being absorbed by the young students
2: yeah th- that's a great point i mean i I, I like teaching in, in universities and, and it's great, but I think that's a little early for these kind of lessons. I mean, I, I, my, my, really my motive when I teach in universities and it's try to get them in the, in the geotech and interested. And uh, when I really feel that I do my best is when I recruit these, these people. And, and that's the way that I have been operating in the company that I have. I mean, I have recruited a lot of our team. Uh, then we start the process. I love mentoring. And basically when the person starts like, I and it's like, this is going to be a mutual benefit, right? Because you're going to work a lot with me and for me, but I'm going to teach you everything that I know. I always believe that, you know, an old mentality of not trying to share what you have or what you know, because it's going to affect your growth. That's the wrong way. When you are in an organization, everyone has to move up. And you have to share everything, you know. So I, that, I think at that point really is when you start having on the mentoring part, that's when I sit down and go to different topics. It doesn't happen in one day. Uh, it just depends on the projects. If we're doing soil nail walls, uh, well, then I'm gonna teach you everything that I know about soil nail on design, and then one day I'm gonna take you to the field and I'm gonna tell you everything that I know about testing of this and and what I have learned in my experience, uh, you know, and and all that. Uh, I think the the important part is is passing all those concepts and and passing all those lessons, uh, and really connecting with these people and and and. and I mean, I'm a part of my career that I can look back with many of the people that I have mentored, and, and it's always a joy. More, a lot of them still are still with us at our company. Uh, some of them have, you know, let's say life, life changes, and let's say their wives got better job opportunities in other cities, and they end up locating. Uh, I'm still in touch with almost every person that I have been mentoring, and it, it brings me great joy to see that they are also flourishing on different companies. I mean, I always say I, I would love that it's with us, but... If it has to be with another company, I will still have that joy. So I, I think it's extremely important to, to be a mentor and not just be somebody that does your job. Uh, I have the, the luxury of having the great mentor of my dad since the beginning of my career and my childhood to then pass through a, a spectrum of, of great mentors. You know, when I was in college in Colombia, when I was in college here in Pittsburgh, and then when I started working at ages. Um, so it's like you have to always give back all that mentorship that you got. You have to give it back. You know, and and you have to literally take people under your wing and you have to feel that, you know, their careers really also depend on you and how much you're going to tell them. I mean, there is only so much you can read on books and manuals and stuff and and you have to share experiences. And, And then obviously the other thing is you have to you have to go to conferences and you have to give the talks and you have to attend conferences and. And I mean, I, I always say that I'm the biggest fan of Geostrata and the DFI magazine, and I am. I honestly don't think anyone reads it to the level that I do, uh, <laughs> because I think it's the coolest publications that Chris I Chris would am. like to hear that. You know, so <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you know, and, and, and there is so many resources now that with these podcast and different interviews and Geostrata Extra and the PIT, you know, like the, all the things that is like, you have to listen to all that and you have to embed yourself on that if you really want to advance your career. and, and I think the more that we have with technology, it's it's better. I mean, when the pandemic started, you know, I I was with Tim, I believe a week or two weeks and with you, lucky too, in in San Diego, right? When when, like the week before or two weeks before this started, and I just remember thinking like, all right, I guess I'm not doing any professional society stuff in the next year or something, Uh, which could not be more wrong. I mean, I have never done as many presentations in my life as in the last year and a half. I mean, like literally I'm doing one presentation every week. Not only in the states, but also international presentations, because we all discover that thanks to Zoom and Teams, it, it it's so easy. So now you yeah. don't have to pay, you know, yeah. you don't have to pay me to go to Sao Paulo and pay my ticket and you know, pay my fare, pay my food, pay my hotel, pay my fee, and you don't have to pay any of that stuff. You can just send me an email and say, hey, can you share one hour? So I think that is also promoting. A lot of interaction and i mean i have been watching the same way that i have been doing a lot of of seminars and stuff i have been watching a ton of seminars you know and and conferences and and it's great because i think the more that we communicate and pass that experience well it will percolate i mean it will never you know replace the going to a site and seeing that first view you know i mean an engineer needs to spend a significant amount of time on the field I don't know the first good geotech engineer that has not spent a lot of time in the field, the same way that I don't know the first good geotech engineer that has not spent a lot of time on the lab. So you need all aspects and you need to really expose yourself to everything and integrate them in, into that. That to me really constitutes the new education that you need to have. I mean, just going to school for a few years and, and reading a couple of books on soil mechanics is, is not going to make you a great engineer. You need to take it way more from there, but which is exciting. Yeah. I'm not saying in a bad way. I mean, you enjoy that. You know, a geotech engineer enjoys... Everything, right? So right. It, it's part of the toolbox.
1: Yeah, you made you made such great points. You made such great points. Uh, I've been thinking about all of that, and there are so many points that you made actually chimes with what I think about. You know, uh, being a geotechnical engineer, and and what you said at the end, I've always thought. Geotechnical engineers are the happiest engineers in the profession. I'm not kidding. You go talk to a, write them, you go talk to a geotechnical engineer, they always welcome you with a smile. They always have stories to share. They always are satisfied with what they do, right? And they, they, they have the aspirations to do more as well in the industry. And, and the other point that you brought up, uh, Sebastian is, you know, uh, don't just raise by yourself you know raise everyone around you help everyone around you mentor everyone around you that is so true once you start doing that you said like you know the company grows with you and you yes. go you grow with the company that that was such a great point uh, you know with the experience that you have gotten you know uh, as a child wild experience kidnapping and all the stories <laughs> that you just shared with us and and the stories of your father right like being a hero and and sharing that kind of knowledge and PhD knowledge, you said, at the age of eleven, right? And in also your journey as a student, as an engineer, um, do you think that had a big influence on your resolve to advance the geotechnical industry?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I I always felt I'm a very lucky person, you know. And and I mean, I think I have been blessed, you know, in, in life with many things. And and my path definitely has been, you know has been kind of coming together by different circumstances. Uh, I always feel that I, I got, I mean, just look at this way. I, I was born in Colombia and raised in Colombia and I have access to college, you know, I mean, what percentage of Colombia has access to higher education, you know, to college? I mean, that, that right there puts you on a very elite group, right, uh, who also have a figure like my dad, you know what I'm saying, and, and, and stuff like that. I mean, I grew up like, you know, driving dozers and excavators, you know, mm-hmm. at a very young age, who has access to that, right? Uh, and then I got, you know, I study hard and I got the scholarships to come here to do my master's and PhD. That's also blessed, right? Uh, and then I end up finding a great company and things like that. So, I mean, I know I, I'm not naive and I know the harder that I work, the luckier that I get, right? I mean, it's not just because the stars align, no. nice, but I, I always feel that I'm in depth, you know, in the sense of I need to give a lot because I have been blessed with a lot of things that were given to me or, or opportunities that I got. Uh, so that, that also is always my fire and, and my fuel to, to share with others. I mean, I also do believe that there is nothing cooler in geotechnical engineering. And I mean, I know, lucky that you know many aspects of that because the clothes that I wear, you know, like the one that, that you took the picture that says geotechnical engineering and all that stuff with all the symbols. Uh, I have my own hoodie with, you know, my name, PhDP. I'm so yeah. immensely proud for, of what I yeah. do and the way that I arrive, you know, here. Uh, from all aspects. I enjoyed the college part. Uh, you know, when I graduated from my PhD, I have 20 publications, which is more than some faculty, you know, at that time, because I just love it too much. I mean, I was so intense on what I was. Uh, and, and, I, and I thought, I honestly thought when I was 24 years old, that it was nothing cooler in life that have a paper in Geotechnique, the journal. I mean, that to me was the coolest thing that you could have, you know. And, and we know I there's
3: think, something wrong with you.
2: I know, <laughs> there are <laughs> theories, my wife has Just theories. one thing, but that's Just it. one thing, yeah. Yeah, so you know what I'm saying? I mean, like, I, I enjoyed that part. And then once I, I went through that and I started doing the actual, and, and my dad was always a key figure saying, that's cool, but remember, engineering is not only that. You know, it's not only the academic part, you need the experience part. Uh-huh. Uh, and then when I start doing the actual experience part, the, the design, you know, and when I, dis- when I discovered design build, that, boom, my head explodes. It's like, you are telling me I can design, and then also go and construct, you know, with a with a contractor. So, I mean, what, what, what you were saying, oh, cool. I, I happen to believe that there is nothing cooler than doing a soil nail test or a micropile test at midnight in the middle of downtown Pittsburgh for a new bridge that we are doing, uh, you know, with cars passing next to you. And you are like in the middle of the darkness, you know, with looking at the thing and thinking in your mind, I'm putting 600 keeps on this thing and a number 28 bar is like. It is extremely, extremely cool. And if yeah. you go into like o-cell tests and stuff like that, and I know Tim has plenty of experience with that. I mean, when you realize the test you're doing is costing close to half a million dollars and you are predicting the result, and in seconds you are gonna know if the result is what you thought, and you see the result. I mean, the the satisfaction that you get in those kind of things is amazing. And and, and that's what I say that is the most is the most beautiful profession in the world. and, and you just have to let yourself you know get into that and enjoy every aspect. And and I also happen to believe that not only it's a beautiful profession, but it's just DFI and and Geo Institute and, you know, all the societies that we have are full of great people, you know, like like the two of you. And that make it even more, you know, more, I don't know, more enjoyable. It, It will be different if we are in an industry that the job is awesome, but we don't interact with each other or, you know, there is little, you know, little camaraderie. But I think what we have and the people that we have around really make it for a very enjoyable life that, that you can have involved in our industry. Yeah.
1: That's right on. That's right on. I think, uh, uh, you know, uh, being a geotechnical engineer for 15 years, I, I can't believe how I was not introduced to DFI, uh, Geostata, and AC. And once I got into the door, you know, it, it, it has been amazing experience how people around you. Uh, show you the path, give you the opportunities, help you grow, you know, all the conversations that you're talking about. Hey, I was on site yesterday doing a, you know, drill shaft inspection. What were you doing? You know, those kind Mm -hmm. of conversations you can't have if you're not getting out of your house or out of your office, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That's such a cool thing to say. Um, And apart from that, I also feel like, you know, uh, you have to mention your blog, because I feel like very few engineers document what they do. And, and I don't know, Tim, if you have already gotten a chance to see that, but the blog is so well-versed. Like everything that he does. Oh, well, last weekend, what were you doing? You were probably sitting on your patio, but this is what I was doing. And it's, it's so amazing to see that blog. So, so um, I'll, I'll tell that, you the
2: story. I'll tell yeah. you the story because the blog really... Was never intended to be seen by anyone else. And, and it is still not intended to see by anyone else. Oh, so what I spit is, the beans. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. So, what happened is we start playing soccer at the office, you know, at lunchtime. So, I created a blog on WordPress because I learned how to use WordPress like, I don't know, like 15 years ago because I collect all gyps, all Wheelie's gyps. So, I started a, a blog about that. Then we start playing soccer in the office and I started taking pictures once in a while and just put the summary of the games. Uh, then, I've, you know, and this is like 15 years ago, then I start going to different construction sites and taking pictures and place them on Facebook. But I always believe that any picture that you get in a new USB drive is going to be lost at some point. So it's like, you have to keep it somewhere in the, in the internet. So I start putting my pictures on this blog that initially was used for my soccer pictures of the office. Uh, and then little by little, my whole career ended up being documented. And now 15 years later or whatever that I started it. I look back and it's like, wow, I have all the projects. I mean, all the selfies and all that. In reality, I say that it's not even supposed to be seen by anyone because all the pictures that are there, I already have them on LinkedIn. I already have them on Facebook. So you are not going to really find much that you have not seen. Uh, But the cool part is that I also have like all the links to YouTube presentations and things like that. So it's a great resource for me to go back and, you know, I'm, I'm find different things. It's like, I always joke when when people you know if i'm doing a presentation or if i'm doing something like this and somebody asks me like do you have a, a, like a brief resume and a picture and i reply within five seconds because like yes it's all there you know i just go and copy paste and send it to you send you the link so <laughs> i don't know i mean it, it's i it's what i said when you are so into what you do and when you are so passionate about what you do these yeah. things just come naturally you know i mean because it's just pure joy that you do that you do things like that. And believe me, this interview is going to end up there at some point. So there we go. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. You know, uh, you. since you mentioned Facebook and LinkedIn and everywhere, uh, you have your pictures, and I also, uh, you know, have friends with you on Facebook, uh, which is a big part of you know uh, who you are and what you do with your family and your free time. And I always see your picture uh, with your son playing chess <laughs> or building Lego sets or you know, okay, we're going to fly a kite today or you know something engineering. Uh-huh. You always do that. So. Um, I, I want to understand if there was any similarities between how you were raised and how you are actually sculpting your son's young mind you know uh, w- w- any similarities that you have or it was it completely different? No,
2: no, no there, there is a lot. there is a lot because I always look at my dad as you know the best dad that I could honestly have had you know I mean it's like I, I really got lucky on that, right so but what I want to do with my son it, it's it's similar but it's a little different because well, I guess my dad really he never really pushed me into becoming an engineer. My, my sister, for example, she never, I mean, she never became an engineer. She was an economist. Uh, but, but really the way that it went is that she exposed me to what he loved. You know, he exposed me to all his passions. I mean, he, he has done a lot of stuff in, in his life. I mean, he, you know, he used to race cars. I used to race cars too growing up. Uh, he had a ranch with cattle. Uh, so I also grew up riding horses and doing all kinds of stuff like that. He got into magic at some point, like learning tricks and optical illusions. I'm the only geotech engineer that I'm certified. I did one year of magic classes. So if you give me some tequilas, I can show you all kinds of magics with my fingers and I will start getting coins from your ears and things like that. So, but you know, something that always struck is that he exposed me to all the passions that he had, right? He exposed me to engineering as one of them, but he also exposed me to a lot of different things. Uh, as you can tell right now, I'm not a very famous F1 driver because I didn't pick up on that passion. I did go-karts and, and race cars for a little bit, but that's something that I realized it was not my true passion. Uh, I'm not a famous magician either, so I kind of left that too. Uh, and, and really the one that I stick was engineering. That was the one that came in my mind. And and I also always found this legacy of my grandfather being an engineer and his grandfather. And so that's the one that I pick. So I'm trying to do the same with my, with my son. I mean, I'm, I'm exposing him to a lot of things right i mean my profession being one of them uh my hobbies also being one of them uh but hard to believe he's the one that really brought me back into chess because i did not play chess since i was a kid but he became a chess fan and i started playing chess a lot uh but you know different things like that i'm trying to expose him more than the actual technical part just the passion i mean what i'm planning to do is that that he realized the passion that i have for what i do and the enjoyment that i get and and You know, I always say the last thing that you want is to have, you know, you have to have a job that is like eight to five, and you just want it to go away. And you know, when I hate people saying, Oh, yeah, I listen to music while I work, because it makes the day pass faster. Like you're wasting your life. I mean, the most part of your day you're working, if you don't love what you do, you are wasting your life, you are literally wasting it, because you're just hoping for the time to pass fast. So you can go home. Like you need to find your call. you need to find what really makes you going and do that. So that's the reason that I take him to all these job sites, uh, just more for him to write, really see how I love this and, and, and that. Uh, my expectations, and I know many people probably don't believe me, my expectation is not that he's a geotech engineer. If he's a geotech engineer, awesome. I'll be super happy. If he's an engineer, I'm super happy. But if he picks up any other field, I will be extremely happy as long as he's passionate and as long as he understood the message of enjoying what you do and giving your thousand percent of what you do and not just yeah. get a job, you know, get a job just to go by. Uh, you know, and, and I mean, I know we all have hobbies because that's another thing that I always talk. It's important to not become insane and just obsessive with your work. And, 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 and I always go back to an article that I grew that I read from John Wolosik from, from Keller uh, when he described the story of his dad and, and the importance of having a hobby, you know, and then John himself had all kind of hobbies with baseball and the, you know, antique cars and things like that. Uh, but something that resonated to me. And I, 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 once I explained this to John and he was like, I don't even remember writing that article, but it was, you know, for me, it was such an impactful article on DFI. You know when he was the president, we included on the DFI magazine, that is, it's important also to have your hobby and have your escape, you know, and, and, and do different things. And, and I know Tim, I read all the, all the editorials that you did when you were the director of DFI. And I remember your bikes and, you also build up on that, right? I mean, it's, it's, you have many other passions that are important uh, and you really need to find this mix, you know, and, and job is important, but other hobbies are important. Uh, you can mix them and match. I always say one of the proudest moments that I have is when I was invited to Brazil to do a keynote lecture and it was at the same time as Copa America. So, you know, when I finished my presentation, I have all my soccer pictures with my with my family because it was like, you know, you are playing Copa America right now, Colombia is playing and I'm from Colombia. so you know, it, it's great to mix things and, and and enjoy. I mean, I would say the most important thing is enjoy what you do. And, and that's what I want to do with him is just to expose him. He grew up going to DFI national and S3 conferences and all kind of stuff. Uh, and, and that's all I really want. I mean, it's just that he, that he sees what I, what I did and how much I love it. And then he
3: finds his own, his own way, his own path. Sebastian, uh, that's awesome. You, 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 you've been a, an awesome guest, and um, I just to kind of summarize for our listeners, we have uh, we have listened to uh, Sebastian talk about how uh, his dad was uh, kidnapped when he was a kid, and how his dad taught him resiliency, and um, hard work, and uh, sticks to I would say, right? Um, and how proud he is to have uh, uh, his son follow in his footsteps and in the family's footsteps of being in engineering and construction. Um, You know, for our listeners, uh, you said some things and that um, things like humility and how important that was to being a good engineer. You talked about the relationship between being good in the field and always having that as part of being a good engineer. And that's something that seems to always be just on the cusp of something we could lose uh if i i hear probably if in 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 what i hear a lot of times it's that field experience that uh up and coming engineers perhaps want to shortcut which i is is at the very end it it comes it comes at a cost um, We have learned how you have been uh, a, a big part of the solution down in Columbia on the uh, Chirihara Bridge, and uh, and you have also given us uh, some health advice to raise our kids and the way you're raising your kids. And to hear you say, it doesn't matter to me if he doesn't become an engineer. You just want him to be passionate about what he wants to be. That's, that's amazing. Um, I want to ask you a question and um, I, we're going to have a series of folks in this that, that talk about uh, projects that went wrong. And, you know, it's, it's been said uh, that what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. And you've been through, Several trials. One of them was your father's kidnapping, but probably most recently you went down there. You you had bodyguards. You went through the process. You saw people going through very difficult times, and you were part of that difficult time emotionally. I mean, you were tied to them emotionally. If it, it, you know, people may say, "Well, you know, you," it really wasn't your design problem. But you know, emotionally, it's hard when you're going through that kind of difficulty. Ten people passed away. it was a, a national disaster. You saw the pain in their face. You know the fa- pain in their families. You felt that pain. How would you fit? How would you finish this sentence? Going through this ordeal made me a better blank.
2: Oh, all right. I would say a better version of myself in every single sense. Uh, I mean, as a better. I mean, as a better engineer, yes. I mean, I've, I was exposed to a lot of things and, and you know, I learned a few things of how can things go wrong, right? Uh, as I think as a human being also, you know, I mean, just dealing with these emotions and tragedies and stuff, uh, also dealing with stress, you know, I mean, th- this, this is great to talk about right now, three years later, right? But it was not at that time. I mean, I, I was through immense amount of stress. Uh, I mean, like traveling back and forth to Colombia almost every week and trying to you know, dealing with things here in, in, in at home with my wife and my son, and you know, trying to merge things and, and finding solutions, uh, it really gives you a lot of appreciation. You know, for what you see. Also, when you get exposed to tragedies, it reminds you of everything that you have. You know, and, and how valuable it is, and how can everything can be lost in one second. So it makes you way more appreciative. Uh, also, like all the parts with my dad. You know, I mean, like seeing the enjoyment that he was getting on all these, uh, the relevance. It makes me. Put myself on his position a little more. Uh, I think even as a Colombian, I mean, I, I grew up in Colombia, and, and, and bear with me on this part. I got a country that gave me a lot of things, right, when I was growing up. And then, what, I, what did I do when I was twenty? I left and I came to the states. And the states gave me a lot of stuff. They pay for all my education, and I stay, right? And then I became a citizen here. But what I have, you know, what what have I done for Colombia, you know? And as a person that got so many opportunities and they left. Uh, I mean, I don't know. In some respect, that was a little contribution that I could give, you know, based on what I know and, and, and showing my passion on what I love so much, help a little bit. Uh, something that, that really happened after all this is that this opened a lot of opportunities for me in, in South America and Colombia. And then after that, I started being contacted by many universities for different presentations, to serve in different review committees, uh, you know, different panels uh, and different things. It also opened a door in Peru and it also opened doors in Brazil. Uh, and, and I realize that I love and I enjoy doing stuff with South America and Latin America in general that I never saw on the first 20 years of my career. I mean, as becoming as an expert, American or whatever, in uh, whatever word you want to define me now, and being able to do all this, you know, and go back and give back a little bit and help developing and giving opportunities and connecting, that is... It is a great feeling i i was actually doing a presentation last saturday for peru and it was like saturday from 9 to 10 and when we finished there were plenty of questions on on the topic uh and the moderator was saying like you know i i feel bad that you probably are tired and you are one hour ahead and i said look i'm gonna be here until the last person in this zoom call asked me the question they wanted to ask me you know what i'm saying like i have no place to go look at the time that is here and and i want you to feel that you got all my time and my best my best part. So that part is awesome. Uh, you know, like going back and do presentations in Spanish. I didn't do a single presentation in Spanish in 20 years and connecting with that audience and, and sharing things. It's also good. So, I mean, I, I think overall, really, it made me a better human being in, in every single sense or, or a, a version of myself or at least of, of what I want to do, what I look as the image or, or the principles that I want to have. You know, it, it just helped me value a lot. Same way that, you know, what my dad kidnapped Giving me when I was 11 it gave me an appreciation for life that it stays with me forever I mean I got an opportunity my life could have been so different you know in a, in a fraction of a second and I will be always be grateful to that destiny moment or whatever that things didn't go wrong and I got the chance to do what I do have the career that I have, have the friends that I have and being sitting here today with you guys you know what I'm saying I'm, I'm extremely lucky that the opportunity that I got and I want to share all the good with everyone that I can.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, Sebastian. Thank you. Uh, it has been a phenomenal conversation with you. You know, it's, it's been stimulating, thrilling, uh, you know, uh, heartwarming um, and inspiring. Um, thank you thank so you. much for spending time with us. Uh, look forward to seeing you uh, soon at the conferences. Thank you so much, Sebastian. And thank you. Thank you, Tim.
3: Thank you, Lucky. Great job. The first episode is in the can.
1: That's (laughs) a wrap. Just like how you want to say.
3: That's a wrap.
2: (laughs) No, thank you very much. I mean, it uh, it was a great time.
0: Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. On behalf of DFI, we hope you've enjoyed this presentation. The views, information or opinions expressed during Deep Foundation Institute's podcasts are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of DFI, the Board of Trustees, members or employees. DFI is not responsible and does not verify the accuracy of the information contained, nor does it warrant that the information contained herein is suitable for any general or specific use. The podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Editing, modification or redistribution of this podcast is prohibited. If you have any concerns or questions, please feel free to reach out to us at podcast at dfi.org. Thanks very much for your time. and Keep on surviving.